Welcome to the HR Chat Podcast, bringing the best of the HR and talent communities to you. Welcome to another episode of the HR Chat Show. I'm your host today, Bill Bannum, and in this episode, I'm joined by Darius Sherzat. Chief Commercial Officer with Patient, a company focused on helping people better access affordable care. Patient works with employers, partners, brokers and health systems to provide a healthier way to pay for out-of-pocket care expenses. Darius, it's my pleasure to welcome you to the HR Chat Show today. Bill, thank you. It's uh, it's my pleasure to be here. So before we get into uh, patient and, the, and what the company does. Let's just get to know you a little bit. Why don't you take a minute or two and tell our audience a bit about yourself and your career background? Yeah, of course. I'd be happy to. So uh, it's a little bit of backstory on me. So I lead the, call it the commercial or the sales organization here at Patient. Uh, sort of an interesting story of how I, honestly, how I ended up here. And so I, I spent a, a few years working for a consulting firm and the last kind of, I'd say two or three years there, I really had a little bit of a foot in both healthcare and financial services. And so it was through that work that I, honestly, I was exposed to really this problem that people across uh, people across the U.S. face in terms of dealing with their out-of-pocket healthcare expenses. And so when for me, the, you know, the time came to, to kind of move on and, and look for a new role, it was, you know, coincidentally around the same time that the fintech space was heating up. And so I was doing a little bit of research into what kind of companies were out there, what kind of problems they were tackling. And that in earnest is, is really how I found patient. And so Brian, our founder, was was just getting started at that point. And I really felt like what what kind of drew me to it was I'd say three three kind of things, right? One is just from like an economic value perspective, this is a big problem, right? This out-of-pocket medical expenses and out-of-pocket healthcare expenses writ large. I think two is from a social perspective, it's also an important problem, right? And I think some of that is is just a little bit informed by, uh, I think my, my background, so I'm originally Canadian. Yeah, you know, we grew up in a public healthcare system. There's some some good things and some bad things about that, but, but we don't have that barrier of the out-of-pocket spending and out-of-pocket medical expenses as, as a challenge. And so for me, that, that felt societally like something important to work on. And then Third is, and I can say this, uh, I can say this with uh, with no sort of hypocrisy or hubris, but uh, I thought the way the solution was constructed was really clever, and I mean that in the sense of it doesn't really create losers, and we'll talk about why that is as obviously as we go through the questions, but it, it really kind of creates value across the board for employers, for providers, for individuals, for uh, for payers, and so. Yeah, it seemed to me like a really interesting way to structure a, a solution. And so it was kind of on the back of that that yeah, that I joined the team and and here we are. I did not know that you're a fellow Canadian. I like you that much more now. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. Um, okay, let, let, let's get into the the the, the nuts and bolts of, of patient then. Of how, how how does something like patient fit into an employer's benefits offerings? So the way I would characterize it is is really that it it fits in right alongside the core benefits that employers provide. And I would, I would probably frame it as like, there's a major and a minor angle to it, right? The major angle to it is that the benefits that have become, look, call it normal, right? In, in the system that we live in for employers to provide are things like medical, dental, vision, in some cases, even pet insurance, right? All of those 
instruments, and really they are their financial instruments, have some form of out-of-pocket responsibility. In some cases, those numbers are small. In many cases, and increasingly so, those numbers are large. And so in my mind, we fit right alongside those kind of core health benefits that employers uh, in this system are, are typically providing to their employees. The, the minor angle I would give to it is that idea of kind of financial well-being, right? We've all seen it in the workplace. There's a, a big push towards financial well-being. There's focus on education. There's focus on advisory services, counseling, all these sorts of things that help people sort of strengthen their financial position. In my mind, we are part and parcel of those, uh, of those pieces as well. But I think the difference is we also have that kind of cascading effect through, through those core benefits that I think makes what we have a little bit distinctive vis-a-vis -vis those purely kind of financial well-being instruments that are out there as well. What do you think it means to say that affordability in, in healthcare in the U.S. Has, has moved one step forward, but also perhaps two steps back? Yeah, so it's a, a, a bit of a hot take, right? And, and, so I, uh, and so when I say that or when I, I sort of, you know, open a conversation that way, what I really mean is that there has been some movement, right? And that movement has been as it relates to plan design. That movement has been as it relates to sort of the advent and uptake of HSAs, uh, FSAs, HRAs in the marketplace. And, and I think those moves were well-intentioned, right? Because the thesis under those was the more we can make healthcare look and feel like other sectors of the economy, for lack of a better parallel, uh, the more we can hope to increase the cost, or excuse me, to control the costs in that space. And I think that was the hypothesis. I think what has been borne out as that sort of ship has moved, right, where the plan designs have changed, right, and HDHBs have sort of risen, deductibles have gone up as a consequence by something like 200% over, uh, over the last 10 years. And so um, the more we've seen that, the more I've seen that it's it's kind of a partial solution, right, and there's unintended consequences of it. And so... What has instead happened is that this shift in increasing member responsibility, because of the, the nuances of healthcare and the things that make healthcare different from other pieces of the economy, we haven't seen the desired effect. We've actually seen costs continuing to increase. And really the way I, the way I sort of characterize it is this flywheel of kind of rising premiums, right? That both employers and individuals are paying. And that shift has actually the shift towards uh, increasing member responsibility has accelerated that flywheel um, because of the kind of nuances, again, and limitations of, of healthcare as a, a, a sector as compared to, you know, consumer products, right, or, uh, or retailing more broadly. What, what is the effect of OOP increasing on our, on our physical and financial well-being then? And maybe as part of that, what, what also is the effect of members not being able to pay medical bills? Yeah, I mean, the, the headline I would give is that the, the net effect is, an, is a negative one, right? The, the, the impact of this out-of-pocket increase that members are being subject to, in our experience, kind of boils down to, to three things, right? Put it aside, the idea of, hey, some members can simply pay and that's okay. And those are, those are not kind of the affected population we're talking about. But we see more and more of the population falling into one of the, the three buckets we're about to talk through right? One is people who get care, but then they pay for it using interest-bearing debt, right? 
That can be things like specialized lenders that do medical debt. It could be as simple or innocuous as kind of the credit cards. But this causes additional expense in the sense of interest payments that they have to make on that debt. It causes stress to the member. And we see this in the, and it causes adverse financial impact in, in the sense of kind of medical bankruptcies, right? I think the stats that fly around are things like two thirds of bankruptcies come from medical issue, medical issues, and then they sort of stem from that space. And so there's a real kind of financial damage aspect of this. Two is that members go and they get care, but they don't pay providers for the care that they received. And so I'll come back to this linkage kind of later on, but there's, there's kind of a downstream impact of this that really is relevant both to individuals and to employers. And I think it takes a little bit of thinking of it as a system rather than individual pieces to kind of truly appreciate the impact of that. And, and then the third, and I would honestly argue the most kind of sinister impact of this is the idea of members putting off care, right? And so the metaphor that, that typically lands when we try to illustrate this point is that concept of if you go to the dentist and you know you're getting your cleaning and they tell you you need you need to get fillings and you can't afford to get those fillings because you don't have 200 bucks 300 bucks handy and so you put it off those cavities don't go away right and so what happens is a year or two or three later you're back in that office and now the discussion isn't about fillings the discussion is about getting a root canal and that's more expensive it's more painful it costs your insurance company more and so if you take that more relatable uh, example and you sort of translate that to the medical space, that's what we're seeing. And that is a classic kind of lose-lose picture, right? Because you get worse health outcomes at a higher cost. And I think that is what we've seen through this sort of shift in consumerism. Okay. And, and what about providers then, Darius? What, what, what is the effect on, on them? And how, how does that come back in, in higher fees and, and potentially bigger premiums as well? Yeah, I, I think appreciating that requires sort of looking at healthcare in the U.S. as as a system, which is what it is. And so it, in the context of especially an employer-sponsored model, what we have are employers and insurers and providers, and they're all part of the same ecosystem. And so if you sort of think through that example of a provider not getting paid for services and the downstream impact of that, it, it hurts everyone. And so the way it works in practice, right? And this is the concept of the flywheel I was referencing earlier. If you're a provider, you provide a healthcare services. And if you get paid for some of it, which is the insured component, right? The, the component of it that the insurance company is paying for you because it's covered. And often, which is what we're seeing in, in the space, right? A lot of providers have rising and rising kind of bad debt numbers on the sitting on their balance sheet and ultimately kind of flowing through their income statements, often they're not getting paid for the member responsibility of it. So what happens is not that the providers just write that off and it's done, right? What happens is the providers come back to the insurance companies and they have to charge higher rates for the pieces that the insurance company covers. And the insurance company negotiates those rates and then turns around and comes to employers. And because the cost of the underlying service that you're insuring has gone up, the cost of insuring that service goes up, which means premiums that the employers pay and premiums that the members pay in some cases are also going up, which in turn sometimes causes employers to create plans that are less and less generous, right? Or with less coverage because 
it becomes prohibitively expensive to keep the same plan design in place year after year when it goes up by 5, 10, 15%. And so what we see is this almost like self-perpetuating problem uh, that arises from what might seem like an isolated issue of members not paying providers, but which has real downstream effects for both the individuals and crucially, honestly, given the way health plans are, are kind of provided in, in the U.S., uh, for the employers, because that cost is borne by them. So there is an incentive across the board for folks to try to tackle this problem. And we think, or at least our, our kind of thesis is that the employers have this sort of privileged position uh, and, it, you know, I would dare say almost responsibility, right, and to help their, to help their employees kind of navigate this problem. But the benefits could also accrue right back to them. Okay, so um, uh, your answer, the last but one, in, in that you, you use that example of um, going from needing a filling to a root canal, which kind of sucks. Um, but what, what, are, what are some of those other, other non-obvious implications that HR is missing for the business? You know, when, when employees are not getting the care that they need, what are those potential long-term effects here? And, and I'm, I'm thinking we've just gone through two years where a lot of people have gone through a lot of mental mental distress. You know, so we're not just talking physical ailments here. It's, it's, it's much more than that. I, look, I think that's absolutely right. And, and I think we often talk about this or this topic gets brought up in sort of a conceptual way, right? We talk about lost productivity or things like that. But I think talking through it in a in a real way with examples, I think can can sort of make those uh, make those points feel a little more salient, right? So take the example, right? I'm hurt, I'm sick, it takes up sort of mental space in my brain every day. If my child is hurt or sick, that probably takes up even more mental space if I don't have the financial means to help them uh, to help them sort of deal with this issue or get the care that they need. And so that sort of preoccupy space in an individual's brain. Two, it may change one's engagement with their work and their employer, right? If they see that position that they're in arising as a consequence of the health plan that their employer has sponsored them. And so, you know, we can, we sort of talk in economics about people as, you know, rational actors and this and that, but yeah, but we're emotional beings, right? And so if I'm in a situation like that, and I have that sort of baggage on my mind, I, I would, bring less of myself to work. And I think we probably see that across the board. I think that's one angle of it that is real, right? Another piece of it is, is a more practical and honestly a little more measurable one, which is simply if I need to take time off to take care of myself or to take care of my kid because my healing time or their healing time is longer because I can't afford to give them the care that they need, that's time off that they might not otherwise take, right? And that's time off that's taken to do something that's not enjoyable and not, uh, how do you say, restorative for the employee, uh, which, which again could have sort of downstream impact to the employers. And then the third piece of it, and we see this across the board, right, is this idea of uh, if I just start looking for another job because I'm not happy with the health plan and I don't feel that it supports me or I don't feel that it supports my family. And that sort of is one of the contributing factors I'm sure we see towards yeah, this sort of talk of the great resignation and the war for talent and all the things that are going on in, in sort of the attraction and retention space. Uh, this is this is part and parcel of that problem that people are uh, really, you know, re reacting to and, and making decisions around their career and the kind of place they want to work as a result of. 
Okay, so often in uh, my my interviews, when I'm being the host of the, this show, I like to mix it up, Darius, sometimes time, and um, and change up the tempo. Uh, so I'm going to challenge you. Uh, yeah. To in the next question, I want you to answer in 90 seconds or less. Okay. I, imagine, imagine you and I are stepping onto an elevator together, and I ask you the following, um, and and you've got about 90 seconds until I get to the 30 second floor or something. Here we go. Um, so with, with this cycle of, of price increases and, and people not getting care, there seems to be a big focus on HDHP to try to keep costs down. My question is, how does patient help with this transition? Absolutely. So I will, I will be, uh, I'll try to be concise. So look, high deductible plans are not the best solution for everyone. Right. Uh, and I think as a, as a Canadian living in the U S I think one of the things I've come to appreciate over this time is that uh, people here value choice. Right. And the way I would then articulate this is that patient makes it easier for people to make the choice to take a high deductible plan when it's right for them. The way we do that is we provide that cushion and we do that in the form of liquidity, right? It's new money that's being brought to the table that people can have as sort of a, whatever you want to call it, a cushion, a sort of shock absorber, if and when they get those larger expenses that could be hard to deal with, uh, this is what they can turn to and this is what they can do. And by extension, could create savings for themselves by being on a plan with a lower premium and a higher deductible, but also could create savings for their employer by virtue of that same choice. And so we use this sort of financing and smoothing mechanism in all other aspects of the economy, right? We see it in retail purchases, companies use it. Why would we not sort of try to extend that concept to healthcare and really treat it as a way to help members and help employees make the choice that's right for them in the sort of most supported manner. I hope that was under 90 seconds. It was a beautiful answer <laughs> uh, delivered with your fantastic Canadian accent, apparently. Okay. Um, just before we do wrap up for today, how can, how can our listeners connect with you? So maybe that's through LinkedIn. Maybe you want to share your email address. Maybe you're really cool and you're on TikTok or Instagram or other places. And also how can they learn more about all the awesome work having over at, at patient yeah, I mean, look, I, I think easy, easy enough to find me on LinkedIn. So uh, Darius Cherzad, and then uh, my email is is about as simple as it is. So it's Darius at patient.com. I, look, we'd love to hear from your listeners. And, and even if it's just kind of a conversation to, to debate some of these points that we discussed here, I know uh, not everything is uncontroversial. Yeah, if you'll forgive the double negative, but yeah, but we'd sort of welcome to hear. Uh, we'd welcome to hear from from folks on from all kind of stripes about what we've talked about today, and and to share more about what we're up to. Wonderful, and I'm pretty confident, listeners, that there are going to be a few links in the show notes, so you can find find out more there. Uh, unfortunately, it won't be to uh, Darius's TikTok, but uh, there will be there will be others in there. Hey, that just leaves me to say for today, Darius, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the HR Chat Show. Oh, Bill, it was my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me and, uh, and giving us a chance to share a bit about what we're doing. Thank you for listening to the HR Chat Podcast, brought to you by the HR Gazette.